I meant to mention this book uh, this morning. Uh, it's a book that we've been giving out to our new church members, and so if you were a member, joined as a member, uh, you know, five years or longer ago, you probably haven't seen a copy of this. We have a few extra copies, though, in the back uh, in, in our office, and I can get those for you if, if you'd be interested in reading it. It's called I Am a Church Member, and it kind of walks through how we can be committed to our church. So if that's something you'd be interested in reading, even if you say, I just want to read it and pass it along to somebody else, that'd be great. Um, uh, we've got a few copies left of that, and I'd be happy to to share that with you. Just uh, see me after the service. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in turning, first of all, to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. I'm going to flip to a few different places and then we're going to end up in Revelation. The question we asked this morning, is the church essential? And our answer was yes. And I told you that this afternoon I was going to change the answer. I'm going to change the question a little. The question that I will seek to answer tonight or this afternoon is, is every church essential? Is every church essential? <clears throat> it's been said that the gospel is something and the gospel does something. The gospel is something, and the gospel does something. In James, starting in verse 14, he's going to talk about this concept of faith separated from works is dead or useless faith. So he asks the question, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And in verse 20, he says, It's useless. Now, he's going to continue that argument. We're not going to spend a long time here. But what James is arguing is that if you have true faith, it's going to do something in your life that's going to result in these kinds of good works. It's not that adding good works to your life will make you saved. It's that if you are truly saved, what's going to come out of your life is good works. Another passage, and you're probably familiar with this, so we're not going to turn there, but in Galatians 5, Paul lists out the fruit of the flesh, if we could put it that way. And he lists all of the different things that people who are unsaved will give their lives over to, the, the things that their flesh will draw them to. But then when he gets to verse 22, he switches it and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And he lists off the fruits of the Spirit. As you think about fruit, fruit is not something that you add to a tree. It's something that comes from the tree. If you've got a healthy apple tree or a healthy orange tree, it's going to result in that kind of fruit coming out. You don't have to duct tape the apples to the outside or anything. And in fact, if you were to take apples and duct tape them to a tree, it wouldn't make that tree an apple tree. 
And over time, those apples would rot because they're not actually connected to a source. But if you've got a healthy apple tree, then what is inside that tree will come out as apples. And what he's telling us is if the Spirit does a work in your life, the evil junk that used to come out of your heart will be replaced, will be changed and transformed into love, joy, peace. And you can see the, the, the thing in, the, in our lobby. We have kind of a, a little, um, I don't know what you would call that. It's not a statue. It's a, it's a piece of art that's got the fruit of the Spirit on it, okay? So if you don't have that locked in, you can check that or, or just go to Galatians 5. But the point being is that the gospel is something, but it also does something. That, that the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that we get from God transforms our life and changes what comes out of our life. And that's true for individuals. And John highlights that when he gives us in 1 John all the tests of our living faith. Do you want to see if you have living faith? John says, I'm going to write this so you can know for sure. And in those tests, it keeps coming back to this idea of, do you have true love? Do you have true love for God? Do you have true love for his people? And so that is how, one of the ways in which we can test our faith, or as Paul says, to work out our faith with fear and trembling. So if the gospel is something, and the gospel does something, and you don't see it doing something in you, James and Paul and John are saying, you are not saved. If you have true faith, it will do something. It will cause this kind of a change. Also, within the church, the gospel is something, and the gospel does something. And what we're going to see is that sometimes people have the gospel and it doesn't do anything to their church. Sometimes churches do things, but they don't have the gospel. And the question is, are those churches essential? And the answer is no. Churches that do not have or do not preach the gospel are not essential. Churches who do not live the gospel are not essential. How do we know this? We know this because of what Jesus says to the churches in Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me in turning to Revelation chapter 2. And we'll also look at chapter 3. Now, without changing the question, if I was just to say, is the church essential, could we answer that no? Apart from what we know from Scripture, probably we could, right? Because as, as Luke writes in Acts, uh, there is nothing that God needs. Right? It's not as if God needs our help to accomplish anything. So does God need the church in order to accomplish his purposes. He does not need anyone or anything. But he has chosen to use the church. Very similar to when Paul writes to the Philippians and says, hey, I want you to give, but it's not because I desire your gift. I'm desiring fruit for your account. That is, as you do this for me, what you're actually accomplishing is you're, you're, you're receiving a reward yourself. And Paul says, that's what I desire. I desire to see you being moved by the Spirit to accomplish what the Spirit's driving you to do so that you will then later be rewarded by God. 
And God's allowing us as part of the church to have the same benefit. As we can be stewards of his grace, we can receive the grace, pass it along, share it to other people in our congregation, and accomplish something that God could have chosen to do without us. But he chose to do through us so that we could be not only a part of that, but we can also be rewarded. And so even though God doesn't technically need anything or anyone, he has chosen to use the church to accomplish this. But is every church essential? No. Let's look first at the church at Ephesus, and we're not going to look at every single example, but we'll look at just a couple this afternoon. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's explained in chapter 1. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You say, well, the rest of the stuff covers that. It's okay if they don't have love because they're doing all the right things. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. If you do all these wonderful works and you use all the spiritual gifts but you don't have love, you are a gong. It's useless without love. So when Jesus, and if you've got a red letter edition, you see these are the words of Jesus. If Jesus says to you, I notice that you've got a lot going for you, but I don't see love. That's going to be a problem. Verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, if you do not repent, you are non-essential. And I will remove your lampstand. In chapter 1, Jesus tells us that these lampstands that John was seeing are representative of the churches. The churches that are the light of the world. And he says, you have no light because I've removed you as a lampstand. You're not essential. Therefore, I will not leave you to be a church. 
got a lot going on, doing wonderful things, doing things that many churches probably were failing at. They were testing these false apostles. They were enduring patiently and bearing up for God's namesake, for Christ's namesake. They were not growing weary, and yet, because they did not love Christ and love his people, their works were useless. Their light would be snuffed out. Their lampstand would be removed. And so he encourages them to repent. Chapter 3. Church at Sardis. He says, To the angel or to the messenger of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has seven spirits and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up. If you're sleeping, wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. To the church at Sardis, he says, you have a reputation of being alive, and yet it is that you are dead. Your congregation is not doing what God has called them to do, and so I will come unexpectedly as a thief and I will come against you. To to consider that the church is the church because of the grace of God and that all we are doing is only because of the grace of Jesus and to have Jesus say, but now I'm coming against you. You're not going to receive grace and mercy. You're going to receive judgment. You will no longer be a church. You are not essential. Verse 14, the church at Laodicea. He says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says, you're like water, but you're not like hot water. And you're not like cold water. Now he's using a picture they would have understood. They were used to getting the the water from the hot springs that would come through. It had a medicinal benefit to them and they would enjoy that. They also had cold springs that they could drink from. Both were useful. And I believe the point he's trying to make here is that he wishes that the church at Laodicea was useful. But they weren't. And because they were useless, he says to them, you are not essential. I will spew you out of my mouth. This is kind of a bummer of a message right after a meal. What are you doing? The question, is every church essential, is answered by Jesus. No, every church is not essential. Those who do the will of God, those are useful. Those who seek their own will, those who, who, who are tied to whatever it is that they are desiring, those who haven't purged, been purged from the things of their flesh or the things that they desire or, or the ways in which they're doing those things, he says, you're not doing what I called you to do. You're not doing what I died for you to do. Therefore, you are not essential. I will remove your lampstand and you will cease to give life. You will cease to be a church. I will come against you. I will spew you out of my mouth. There is still good news. Because even though he says these things to them, he doesn't say it's impossible for you to be essential. He gives hope in each of these cases by telling them to repent. So there needs to be an evaluation. Am I doing what God has called me to do? Is our church doing what it was called to do? Is our church teaching what it was called to teach? Is our church loving God and others the way we were called to love God and others? Or do we need to repent? And just as he offers repentance to each of these churches, he offers it to any church that ceases to be what it was called to be. So I say all of this not to be a downer or a bummer, but that we need to be very, very careful not to think that just because we've been around for a while, And just because we have things going on, and just because we have teaching from God's word, that we can just coast along without love. That we can just continue status quo without evaluating, without questioning, without seeking. Are we doing what God has called us to do? Are we doing those things that make the church essential or not?
And if we're not, we need to repent. A couple of weeks ago, we looked briefly at the, at the beginning of our service at Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read that for us again. The author says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is our application. We should be evaluating ourselves. We should be seeking, do we need to repent? But we should be praying and considering. Am I stirring one another up to love and good works? And the command isn't just to do that. The command is to consider. Have we spent time this week considering how we will stir one another up to love and good works? These are the things that Jesus says to the churches. Either you don't have love or you don't have the right works. And if we aren't doing our task, the, the thing that we are called to do, considering how we're going to stir up one another to love and good works and surrender our will to God's will doing that, we very well could find ourselves being marked unessential. And having our candlestick removed. To no longer be the light in Westerville. Now, there are other churches in Westerville. There are other churches in this area. And God could raise up a new one. So we should never have the, the, the thought that, well, because we've been here so long, we're always going to be here. We must be faithful. Faithful to pray. Praying that God would not only keep us teaching what is right, doing what is right, but that God would give us the love we need for one another and for him, that that would never grow cold. It would always be useful, producing in us the faith and the grace that we need to share with others, causing us to love one another and create the culture of our church that will demonstrate the gospel, that the gospel is not just truth that we say with our mouths, it's truth that we live. If you saw a Ford executive always driving a Toyota, would you believe if he said Ford's the best product? Exactly. We got an honest person here. I appreciate that. So if you believe the gospel, but you never live the gospel... What are you saying about the gospel? What are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about the church? The gospel is something. The gospel does something. Let us examine ourselves, let us examine our church, and let us be faithful to pray that God would do a work in our lives that would be demonstrated in our community, in our church, in our fellowship, throughout the world, outside of the world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit and we thank you for the love 
and mercy of the Father. And we ask that you would make us a church that is faithful, a church that is filled with love for you, for each other, for the world, a church that seeks to stir one another up to love and good works, that would do the diligent work of considering how to do that, that would faithfully pray for each other, not just in times of struggle, but in times where life seems to be going well and we might be tempted to be independent of you. We ask that you would help us to be faithful to pray for our leadership, both current leadership and those who you will raise up to replace current leadership. We ask, Lord, that you would be with each of our teachers and pastors, that truth would always be proclaimed, that we would not follow after doctrines of demons, but we would always proclaim the truth and we would live that truth because of the grace of Christ working in us. Change our will to be like yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.